Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, I have with me my co-host, Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. I'm a sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Today, we're going to be talking about some of our pet peeves. I know we try to keep it extremely positive on the podcast, except for our banter back and forth, obviously, because I like to rip on Alex. But today we're going to talk about some pet peeves that we see, some red flags if you do see people practicing these ways or training these ways, um, as well as just things that are generally wrong. People are full of shit when they say them. And a lot of times in MMA, there's a lot of bro science not just MMA, jujitsu, wrestling, all these different things. There's, it's a bro science heavy sport, bro science heavy culture. And we want to shed some light from what the research says, as well as just what we have seen in practice. So Alex, what is your first pet peeve? Yeah. I mean, along the themes of exposing myths, exposing, you know, what is not actually a fact in, in terms of sports performance and MMA training, we wanted to First off, talk about strength and conditioning and how gaining strength or putting work in the weight room makes you gain weight or makes you slow and stiff. You know, none of that stuff true is true. And uh, done appropriately, strength training is going to enhance your performance and attack your weaknesses, not um, give you these negative negative impacts of gaining weight or being slow and stiff. Well, and talking about... being slow and stiff, the old, the old adage that boxers never wanted to lift weights because it was going to make their hands slow. That was what they always said. And when we actually think about the sports of striking in general, we know that at the end of the day, hand speed comes from trunk tension, hand speed comes from hip generation, all these different trainable qualities in strength and conditioning. Because at the end of the day, what I say, strength and conditioning, the one of my favorite parts about it is that you can train different athletic qualities, not just, Oh, I got to get, get stronger. Oh, I got to get faster. I can train in these different qualities to the athlete that they may not be getting from that combat heavy sports approach. Yeah. And I think that's uh, one of the misnomers or one of the absolute limitations of our field is naming it, naming it strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning are two of the qualities that can go under this kind of sports performance hood or this, trainable qualities that uh, any good strength and conditioning coach can address the whole battery of power, speed, uh, range of motion, um, just different speed, strength, different things that we get into those type of qualities that you train up and down the force velocity curve and you attack all of these rather than strictly thinking about getting stronger. Like I know we talk about the baseline for a lot of athletes is to get stronger because that raises the floor, right? If we first thing about punching speed, right? If we were limited in our punching speed by how much of our force we can take advantage of, if we don't have very much force behind our punch, it's not going to be hidden as hard. If we increase that floor of force, then we have more potential to have faster hands, right? And more powerful um, strikes in that arena in general. So put in a logical sequence, strength and conditioning is not going to make you gain weight and get slower. I think that's erroneous. Well, and it goes back to one of my favorite movies ever. The movie that made me fall in love with MMA, Never Back Down. Oh, every, don't even. That's my movie, kids. dude. That's me. <laughs> the, the movie that made it popular, MMA and fighting popular with a generation. What does Ryan say in the first few minutes of you meeting him? It says mass times acceleration equals fight night. That's what it can boil down to. The mass, but you do need that general mass to then accelerate through something, right? So getting stronger is great. Being denser is great. 
And then you can build the acceleration, but guess what? Another trainable skill, another trainable quality without having to put mass on because those are two independent variables in the equation. While sometimes they correlate, they can be trained separately. And that's something that athletes and, and skill coaches need to know because that, that boils down to you need to find a good strength coach by you, not just some shit bag that has a weekend certification. Right. So, or like, has, has had a lot of success at the sport or looks huge. I think those are the other two qualifications that people look for in strength coaches is that they, they look like they gain or they lift weights. They look like they lift weights or they've had MMA success, which are um, not great qualifiers for being a good sports performance or strength conditioning coach. Uh, the other thing that I exactly wanted to, to branch off what you were saying, Austin, is we need that's, to you know, just never back down is the best movie ever. Yeah, that was, that was my number one movie. And I, I'm pretty sure I turned you on to it. So don't, don't steal my disagree. Like I used to watch again. it cutting weight. And I used to watch it cutting weight in my basement on my treadmill in high school, junior okay, year. Well, well, good for you. Um, but I just, I remember one night when me and Austin roommates and we had five athletes leaving our house and it was a Sunday night and we were all, you know, kind of getting amped up for the weekend. We watched that movie and ended up doing like 500 push-ups and pull-ups and did. having a, 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 a ad hoc training session in our, uh, our <laughs> Dude, it just gets building. you, it just gets you jacked. It gets you we ready to it. go. Talk we about bro. It. Talk about bro science. That was bro <laughs> science. Austin. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but no, the other thing in a more serious thing is we're talking about, um, acceleration and, and mass and force. We need to start a general understanding and provide this understanding to our athletes that strength is the nervous system. It's driven by the, you know, uh, got neuromuscular. Yeah. It's driven by the neuromuscular. Is that a word? Am I thinking wrong? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about though. The system, the neuromuscular system. Yeah. I just had a little brain fart. Um, you can edit that part out. <laughs> That's um, not getting edited out. People get no, to hear please. this. I know. I hate myself. Um, <laughs> but we need to dispel the notion that strength has all to do with muscle master, that strength comes from the muscular system, right? It's a, it's a nervous intervention. It's the neuromuscular system working together in combination, how well you can utilize the force. Cause I promise you there's force in your nervous system, in your muscles already. We don't in MMA specifically with the weight class sport need to make the muscles bigger to cruise that force. You know, there's a time and place for that in maybe different sports or going up a weight class, but there's a lot of untapped strength just in the nervous system. Yeah, no, I agree. And same, I mean, and the same can be said for not, not to pivot off too far, but for my healthcare people out there, right? Strength and isn't just a muscular system as well as injury. Isn't just the muscular system. If it is a muscular tear quote unquote, or a tear that's been there for six weeks or sorry, like six months. So it's pretty chronic, but they still feel the same. Most likely it's not a muscular tear. Sorry, hate to break it to you. The tissue's already healed in time. So like it, the same thing can be said on the neurologic side, that look at the neurology, look at, maybe it's a nerve root thing. Maybe it's a disc herniation may travel down these different routes that allow you to focus on the neurologic system in a combat athlete. Just like in the post that we just made, the EXPOSS post that I talked about, the extremity pain from a spinal source. It's not always going to be the knee. Actually, joke's on you. 32% of the time, it's not the knee. 32% of the time, it's actually the spine. And if it's a knee complaint and it isn't traumatic. So talking about not just in strength is just muscle. Nothing in the body is just muscle. Uh, yes. <laughs> Every, yes, everything um, in the entire yeah. body has to be the nervous system because guess what sends the impulse to make you do things what's sending the impulse for me to talk to alex right here and look at this beautiful face i mean it, 
everything is everything. The body is one body, right? I think that's a, that's another myth that we need to address is body part training, right? When we get into the weight room and, you know, today's a back and body day. Like I, I know that stems from bodybuilding, but that that's not an effective way to train athletes. That's not um, how all the time that we should go about it. I think um, that idea of body part training is pretty limited in itself too, because nothing is, and we've talked about this on our anatomical approach to trainings too, but nothing is strictly limited to the one area you're trying to focus on, quote unquote. Um, you're working with a nervous system, a muscular system, a uh, stress adaptation, uh, psychological stimulus, everything's going on all at once. You're having um, whatever you're doing, you have an endocrine response, right? Your hormones are always regulating what's going on with your body, sending uh, different neurotransmitters here and there. Everything's going on all at once within this body that we like to think that we can chop up in individual sections that that type of work doesn't exist in your body. Well, and uh, I like to take the, so originally there was the bodybuilder approach of body part specific training. Then there was the next approach of uh, movement-based training, right? The whole body's a whole, which uh, that's true. That's Mm -hmm. correct. I want to take it a step further and circle back to what we talked about at the beginning. And I want to go after not just movement-based training, but goal-oriented training, quality-based training, right? Because if the body is training as a whole, if the body is one whole thing, it's a lot more important for me to go after a specific goal than to just do a pull pattern. And everybody, a lot of people schedule, oh, I need a pull, I need a push, da 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 da. Like mid tier strength coaches, they just like a oh, pull, 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 push, squat, hinge, carry, and lunge. That's great for yeah. every single workout. But if you don't have a goal based around that, you're not going to help the the 10% on either side. You might be able to help the 80% in the middle, but not everybody that comes to you, if you want to take it to the upper echelon or you want to go after a targeted population of people that are in a lot of pain or are in a lot of physical limitations, uh, then you mm-hmm. need to be able to help the 10 on each side. And that's just not from a textbook boilerplate, push, pull, squat, hinge, carry, lunge. That needs to be yeah. goal oriented and quality oriented. And I think that needs to be the in, next step forward in training and treatment. Individualized too. It's like, you know, you have a, a person in front of you that maybe played play collegiate football. I promised you their pressing ability is going to be there. Right. We need to maybe train more on the pulling end of things or or skew it towards our goals and towards our, you know, individual athlete and what they're what sport they're doing. You know, looking at um, something I've heard before is is talking about the need to look at the biomechanics of sport. Right. And we can there's a time and place for specificity in the biomechanics and then uh, the bioenergetics. So that's your conditioning. Right. And then you also look at the biodynamics right? How do these movements actually play out in the sport? How do they actually pattern throughout your whole system, through your whole body um, at once? And you can train them isolated and maybe in the beginning or or give somebody a movement pattern, but you have to look at the whole pattern and how it incorporates into the specialized sport that you're you're training for. So um, once again, that was biomechanics, bioenergetics, and then biodynamics that all factor into how to work. And all of that is in summation of you won't don't have to gain weight if you're weightlifting. <laughs> I don't know how yes, we always yes, get that right. far off, how we always get to those like crazy scientific ends of everything. But the fact that we just got to bioenergetics and biodynamics from talking about not gaining weight from strength and conditioning blows my fucking mind. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It's how it's how the mind our minds work, right? We, we, you want to correct something and you want to logically make sense of it the best you can so that's what we're trying to get out to these people right it's true that's true and speaking of true what's number two <laughs> um 
I mean, we can go a little, a few different ways, but I think going off of weight gain and uh, talking about strength and conditioning training, I think there's some um, asinine diets that are going around out there that, I mean, I think a lot of athletes have a giant concern in a weight class sport of what they're putting into body, how they're feeling their, uh, their training in general, but it's more, a little more emphasized when we have to weigh in to, to compete. Um, so I want to talk about, is it smart for every athlete to be a, a ketogenic diet or a vegan? I don't know how much is coming for practitioners as much as like pop media and um, athletes getting some crazy ideas in their head. But why make that 180 transition, 180 degree transition when you've been successful doing what you're doing? Or I don't know if that's a valid avenue to success. It's not a bandit that's going to cure everything. Dude, you know how many people talk to me about Game Changers when that stupid fucking movie came out? <laughs> Dude, that came out when I was at the PI, and I just remember uh, Clint and Charles and uh, Alexa having a like a, almost like a, an emergency meeting trying to create a, like a, <laughs> a knowledgeable uh, continue education combat resource um, for everyone because it seemed like we got called seven, eight times on uh, Monday or Tuesday morning or whatever about, I think I need to be vegan. <laughs> That's dude. I already, most people that know me and listen to this know that I'm not a huge nutrition guy. I stay in my lane of physical medicine and strength and conditioning. And, yeah. but I do, I do that as part of my scope of practice. I give nutritional advice, all these different things. It's just not my specialty. Not what I dive into. I already hate talking mm-hmm. about nutrition is where I'm going with this. You know what yeah, I mean? I feel I, the exact same way. Yeah, I did not want to have to explain because I already hate talking about it. Why that movie was so fucking dumb. <laughs> in the first place when we and this is another point i know we want to touch on so i'm just going to mesh them together when we talk in absolutes everybody is wrong if you're only talking in absolutes you are fucking wrong i hate to break it to you naughty aguilar and functional patterns but deadlifts are okay i hate to break it to you only vegan people Mm -hmm. but meat is okay for a human to have you're you're wrong if you think otherwise when you say only that completely negates the human condition completely negates it we are all n equals one which is which all that means is that every person's different and if your neural or your nutrition approach needs to be different than my nutrition approach but i can almost guarantee that the entire world shouldn't only be on carnivore the entire ufc population shouldn't only be in keto the entire combat sports population shouldn't only be vegans they all need to be separate and you all need to figure out what you need a based off of your genetics and in, in my mind and what I've, the research I've done, but B mm-hmm. you, you need to talk to somebody who is skilled in this. Talk to an RD. If you're looking to change your diet, don't just jump on the fucking ketogenic diet and please don't just mm-hmm. go to a primary care physician that doesn't have a lot of knowledge about that. Seek out a registered dietitian's help because most of the times like I know what my education was and I got a lot more nutrition training and I'm not comfortable suggesting an at like uh, suggesting a high level athletes nutrition recommendations. Well, it's exactly what you always say, Austin. I mean, I, I have training in nutrition too. Like I have an undergraduate minor in nutrition. I've been certified for quite some time and my math master thesis has something to do with nutrition, but like, we know enough be dangerous, right? Where we can say, I know this and then, but don't, you know, don't take that because it's not an absolute and I'm not uh, confident in telling you to eat exactly like this. But um, I, I think you're nail on the head with the absolutes 
Um, and, and making the 180 transition in your diet is think of the acute effect on your training, right? You know, your body's going to react differently and you need to feel that out and see how it goes. It's not like we need to make a snap change right now. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get the power of Thor and go out and be a beast. Like that's not how that works. Um, but game changers too, man, there's so many logical fallacies and jumps that they make in that that movie that uh we like to poke fun at at the pi but i i just i get it too and i get the the motivation or the inspiration that comes but that's all that's kind of fleeting that's not a sustainable approach to actually improving your uh performance through your fuel well and the, th- the fact of the matter is anytime you shock your system, there is going to be some sort of change, right? So that's where these fad diets, that's where these, oh, we, everybody needs to be keto. Everybody tries veganism. Everybody tries all these different things. That's where they have that short-term success. Everybody needs to be on Atkins was a big thing for a long yeah. time. Like my nanny and papa was, were on Atkins basically one, for four months a year whenever they got the itch to do it. And they're like, Oh, I need to cut, I need to cut carbs out a that's not sustainable to go cold Turkey like that. But B at the beginning, everybody saw a change. That's why fad diets occur because you shock the system with it by, by not eating a McDonald's hamburger, by not going out to eat. It's really not that you're cutting out the carbs. It's that you're, those choices mean that you're eating healthier for the most part. Absolutely. If you go vegan for the most part, that's a lot healthier than the traditional American diet. That does not mean yep. that it is the optimal diet. And that's the, that is the distinction that needs to be made. The optimal diet is different yep. for every person. But on top of that, like, I just, you just, it just bugs me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you said, it, it creates a better baseline because most likely you're following some type of system where, when you're not following a system in, in the first place or before that, um, but yeah, that goes back to, you know, calories in versus calories out and, and different things. But what I want to kind of segue this, this um, absolute or this um, ideology that we need only one type of thing. I want to transition that into, you know, strength training into training methodologies. I think that is another idea that runs rampant. Like, you know, we're a kettlebell gym. We only train with kettlebells or you only need to do these few exercises to be good at MA, uh, or you should never use a barbell is another one that I hear. Um, I think a lot of those ideals, again, once they're absolute, they're not the best individualized approach for a person. They're a strength coach or a trainer's ego getting in the way and saying, this is the only way we can do things because it's the best way and I'm the best with it. Right. Dude. And also it's, it's probably not even just the ego. It's also their inadequacies as well. It's the fact that that that's all there. A lot of the times what I run into, and this is very similar for practitioners. I'm only a DNS doc. I'm only a dry needler. I'm only an FRC guy. It's not that they think that, that they do think that 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 is gold. That is the gold standard, all these different things. But it's it's the fact that they're not adequate to do the other things. It's that their one tool has is they, they decided to gold plate their hammer and their fucking screwdriver and their pliers are rusting. Yeah, no, it, exactly the same thing. And I get, I get so annoyed when, you know, strength coaches or when coaches in general talk about being a jack of all trade and a master of none, you know, 
in our profession, if you have one tool that you're a master of, you're not a master strength and conditioning coach. You know, you might be a master at that one thing, but you're not equipped to deal with every individual and anybody that walks in your door and try to make them perform better. Um, I actually made a post about this on my Instagram. It's like, I was fortunate enough in my, you know, in my internship phase and my education to be exposed to a ton of different training methodologies. And through that, I've been able to plug and play and create my own personal system that I think works relatively well. I got exposed to a pretty exclusive weightlifting system when I was at CU Boulder. I got exposed to a no uh, weightlifting minimal barbell approach when I was at the University of Denver. I got exposed to the highest level of athlete care when I was at the UFCPI. I got exposed to a high school that had rusted out equipment when I interned at my own high school, right? So I've seen the gambit and then that's where you get to be master. That's where you get to use your expertise and create an artistic approach to your training and glue that system together, which is something that um, we have another podcast about systematization and, and figuring out what's the best combination of your in, unique skills as a coach to glue that all together, because that approach is going to be what's novel and going to be what's sets you apart and what makes your product a lot better than buying into this one system that is a godsend. Right. Well, quote, and quote. It, it, for, it boils it down to like a lot of people, there's a lot of people on the USAW referral list site, right? The USA thing, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of people that are yeah. level one cert. Mm-hmm. I don't need just somebody that has a level one cert in USA weightlifting. I need somebody that knows how to understand those concepts, but can also apply that with FRC, with DNS, with some kettlebell with all of these different, with adding conjugate periodization in there, like all of these different things. I need somebody that is Alex Friedman. I don't need somebody off a referral list. I need somebody that makes it all themselves. Yeah. And and I would argue as well, just as we're making the adequate that being a master at one thing is not enough. I think just having exposure period is not enough. A lot of people, like I have my USAW level one and I, I like, I liked that system. And I personally use a barbell and do uh, some of the Olympic weightlifting movements. But I, as a USAW level one coach right now, I am not adequately trained to perform, to train an individual for a weightlifting meet, right? I haven't been around the sport enough. I haven't, I don't feel confident in my ability. If somebody said, you know, I want to hit the national scene as a weightlifter, I'd be like, no, I can help you with this, but that's probably not my expertise. So I'm not even a master in something that I've dug into and I feel like I'm pretty good at, right? So how much of that are you just inadequate in your one thing anyway? Um, moving on. Um, (laughs) so yeah, so rather good, rather good point, gentlemen. Uh, I don't know if that was a good point. Maybe you should cut that out too. Uh, (laughs) master editor. It's literally the, the safety net in the back of my head is that, Oh, Austin could always just cut this out, even though he never will because I could, but will I? (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's, it's a dangerous game we play. Um, All right. The segue. What's I mean, the next? The, what's the next one? <laughs> the segue is that segues are hard. Um, talking about doing specific exercises for MMA exclusively again, or thinking that specific exercises are the only ones that are effective for uh, training in MMA. Yeah, I'm going to keep this one short. Uh, look, cool. we've already talked about it. Mm-hmm. We're training qualities. We're not training moves. I'm not training you in the weight room to have a better double leg. I'm training you in the weight room to have better hip drive. I'm not training you mm-hmm. or I'm, I'm not doing rehab on your ankle to be able to teach you how to do a rock over step or a duck walk. 
I'm increasing your dorsiflexion, which is going to in turn allow you to get into a new range that you couldn't before. I'm not teaching you the technique. So why are strength coaches trying to teach technique in the weight room? Why does it need to be everything is on a Russian bag or everything is on a Russian doll? That doesn't make sense to me. No, I I totally agree. I think there's a time and place. I think I look at the general too specific, you know, continuing a continuum of training as, as something that you move up and down, depending on where you're at in your periodization approach or where you're in your programming model. Like there are times for more specific type movements, but even those movements are less specific than some of the shit that I see out on the internet, right? Very, very few athletes need to be doing, you know, kicks and boxing with elastic bands tied behind them. <laughs> I think that is, <laughs> but just dude, it looks so it. cool. It looks so cool. Sure, man. Um, but I think that, that there, again, there's a time and a place like for weighted balls and throwing and some of those sports are like egg weights. Um, but you can't say that I'm going to use egg weights for this phase. And then all of a sudden I have more power on my punches. Are you, well, or are you just going to mess up your technique and be off balance when you don't, but, but I see it a lot that people, the, my, my biggest issue is when you're, and not that strength and conditioning are separate, but doing some shadow shadow wrestling in your conditioning section, to me, that makes a lot more sense than trying to do your strength work attached to 17 different bands and trying to lift up a Russian doll. Does that make sense? Like, am I wrong in thinking that? Like I, I see it a lot, a lot more skill work, like hitting a bag can be incorporated into conditioning, Mm -hmm. but should Uh, that be your, but should that be your strength work is what I'm kind of getting at. No, I I totally agree agree with that. But in stress is stress, but talks to, again, what we're talking about with bioenergetics, biodynamics and biomechanics is like, what's the overall effect of your training, you know, stress is stress on the body. And when we get into some of that stuff, you're just trying to kill too many birds with, you know, one stone, right? right? It's not like you're your shadow boxing with egg weights and elastic bands is going to make you stronger, faster, and in better shape all at the same time. It's a, it's a, a, a miracle trainer, right? That's, that's where I think we get too confused as strength and conditioning coaches too, because athletes are novel to the weight room and there is times that we can make concurrent gains, but sometimes we have to specify and isolate different training effects to actually maximize and benefit from them. I think that's, that's another continuum that we need to be on is where there's our continue or our concurrent gains versus our specific um, block blocked approach. Well, and I think to me, to me, I just was trying to think of what my actual thoughts were on that idea. I think when you start trying to coach technique as well is when it becomes an issue, right? When you're trying to hit the bag with perfect form, when you're trying to learn new things on the bag, that's when it goes too far. If you just say, Hey, shadow wrestle or Hey, hit the bag. Those are two two completely separate things. You need to know the goal. It comes down to what's the goal of the movement you're doing. Are you doing it to be a part of a specific energy system-based workout or are you doing it to become a better boxer? Because those are two very yeah. separate things. And I think that's what, I, after thinking about it, I think that's what's getting misconstrued. Yeah. And, and I, I think, again, the industry has opened up a space where, you know, to the outside and uneducated consumer, I want a boxing strength coach. Right. Or, or I want to have the, the uh, MMA strength guy. I don't want a strength and conditioning coach to help me. I want the guy that does MMA strength and conditioning. Right. Um, so that's where it's like, where's the line between these specific and general modalities and, and whatever. But it goes back to what's your goal. Right. You know, am I coaching somebody to make their one, two more powerful and, and better footwork 
uh, in the ring? Or am I coaching somebody to uh, expand their aerobic capacity and then be able to hold a higher pace? I think, and again, I have an undergraduate and master's degree in one of those things. I've never boxed and I don't have a whole lot of experience at the other thing. So like... <laughs> <laughs> like what are we doing here right so um but no absolutely i don't think there's a problem using shadow wrestling using egg wet boxing using uh some of those other conditioning modalities to attack that because that's what athlete is comfortable with and i think that um creates a more comfortable and a more uh succinct environment in the weight room but it's just it goes down to what's your actual goal and purpose of the session true yeah no i, I completely agree dude um okay mo- Moving on, just one more before we, we pack it in, before we pack it up for the night. Uh, talking about one of my biggest, biggest pet peeves, one of the stupidest things I see all the time is that people <laughs> think it's so dumb. It's people think that they can just mash out legitimate problems. They think that they can mash out everything. And I've talked about this a lot, but I feel like this is the perfect podcast for me to actually dive deep into my hatred of just foam rolling for 15 minutes before practice. I so, smash but, it harder though it'll feel better right that's that's how yeah I that's that's what kelly that's what kelly Starrett tells everybody i mean that's what i do with my emotional problems too <laughs> that explains a lot <laughs> um, right, sorry. which also i'm not shitting on kelly Starrett. he's actually extremely smart and he's said multiple times that he's not just telling people to smash it but that's what people think he's saying which is frustrating that's anyways i guess received yeah yeah anyways so all right so a lot of people think um, oh, I, my leg hurts. Da, 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 da. I'm going to foam roll my quad for 15 minutes before practice. All right, cool. That's better than doing nothing. That's better than showing up on time. That's great. Um, but if you actually have quad pain, do you actually know if it's quad pain or if it's back pain? Do you know if it's a nerve or it's a muscle, it's a vascular issue, it's bony? Uh, do you know if it's surface or deep? All of these different things can play into what you have going on. So I promise you 90% of the time, hitting it with a compex gun before you walk into practice for 10 minutes straight is going to be a waste of eight minutes. Will that decrease some sensation you're feeling? Fuck yeah, it will. Will that get some blood flow to the area? For sure. But you know what you could also be doing? You could be doing other things that take care of the different aspects of what could actually be going on. All right. And I'm going to chalk this up to not a lot of people actually don't actually know these different things. Not that they think that this is the right thing. I just think it's a lack of knowledge, not a lack of um, a lack of want to get better. So here's, here's the knowledge. Oh, what do you want? What, what do you want to say? Oh, uh, well, yeah. How dare I want to interrupt you, but um, yeah, I agree. I'm, I a, I'm in a monologue, that... bro. I'm in a monologue. <laughs> no, I see that exact same problem with practitioners too. It's like, uh, and I've been guilty of it before as well, you know, or like, this or that hurts or I can't do this, you know, this piece of the tricep because it works. I was like, well, just roll it out like or, or grab a little cross ball and replace that in your tricep. Like, I think, I think that is where sharing the conditions coaches are at a dangerous level of knowledge with that self myofascial release and um, hybrid healthcare things like RPR and uh, rolling out and FMS, whatever you want to talk or, or see that is a lot of strength coaches have a grasp and an understanding of that knowledge, but don't do the assessment on the back end and don't have the actual tools to like justify their decision of go roll that out or hit a car or, or do this. And they're, they're just making that decision on the fly. Well, and, and you're hundred percent correct. It's, it's one of those things like a lot of people are 
just now and athletes included, right? Because a lot of athletes like to be in, included in their care and they start, they start to think they understand things, which some of them do, but no matter what your job, you got to remember your job. Strength coach's job is to get, get somebody strong and increase athletic qualities. Skill coach's job is to be able to increase the skill of the athlete. Athlete, your job is to be the best athlete possible. Your job isn't to do. know all of, all of the physio or physiology, anatomy, biomechanics of the movements. Do your fucking job. What yeah. is your job? Do your fucking job. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's like it, like there's some people that can fit multiple roles and that's great. And, and when that happens, that's awesome. But for the most part, I would say 99% of the time you you're there for a reason. You're there to do your job. Don't, if you're, if you're working mm. HVAC, don't just go over and start hitting the plumbing. That's dumb as shit. It's the exact same thing talking about an athlete, right? So when, mm. what, what I want to kind of dive into looking at an equation that is, is there anything wrong with hitting, hitting a muscle with a complex gun? Is there anything wrong with rolling out? Is there anything wrong with doing a lacrosse ball on your shoulder? No, that is a sense that there's a reason why people do it. It's standard. It stood the test of time, as you say, just like how people are like, oh, adjustments don't work. Well, it's been around for 150 fucking years for a reason, right? <laughs> like, it's if they, if they didn't work, why wouldn't they be there? Do they do everything that people say they, they do? No, fuck no. People say that they cure cancer. That's stupid as shit. That doesn't happen. They cure deafness was the first, the first dude that ever did an adjustment said it cured deafness. That's total bullshit. I don't care what anybody says, but the fact that it stood the test of time, it's lasted for, I think actually 126 years or something like that. If I remember Cairo history, um, it's, it stood the test of time. Same could be said for lacrosse balls. Lacrosse balls wouldn't still be a thing if they didn't do something. Same with foam rollers, same with compact guns, same with so rights. These things wouldn't be, a, they wouldn't be around for longer than six or six months to a year if they didn't do something. But that doesn't mean it should take up your entire warm up. So as long winded as that was, let's boil it down to what, what can we throw in if, what, what are the aspects we should look at if I really think, hey, I should. I should roll foam roll my IT band, which makes no sense in the first place. First off, the musc muscular component. We can foam roll, we can massage gun, we can do these different things. But remember, this should just be a tool in the toolbox. This should not be the whole toolbox. The second thing, I, I'm gonna get crucified for this because I shit on passive stretching so much. Shit on passive stretching so much. But passive stretching does help people. That's one of those things that stood the test of time. Do we know that we shouldn't do it before a workout? Yes, we do know that now, but bless you, bless you. Uh, sorry, do, sorry. do we, do we do know that passive stretching shouldn't be before a warm up or before a workout? Of course we do before a competition. Of course we do, but that doesn't mean it should get thrown out in general. Passive stretching has stood the test of time. So let's throw it in there. It could be a shortened muscle. The other thing we could add in mobility. We know that movement equals medicine, motion equals lotion, all these different analogies, throw in mobility of the joint. That's not just going to be a muscular response. That's going to be a neurologic response because you're doing it through movement, not just smashing a muscle. And then we bring the nervous system in. What are the nerves in the area? This can be very easily looked at if you download an anatomy app or like we talked about, know your role. Find somebody that knows the neurology of the area. This needs to be thrown in. This needs to be something that is looked at in your, I'm going to smash the shit out of this approach. 
If there's any injuries, all of these different things, deep, shallow, nervous, muscular tissue or nervous, muscular bone, tendinous, ligamentous, cartilaginous, all of these different areas of the body that could be hurt, that could be injured, that could be irritated, all have different healing processes, all have different ways to support, all have different ways to handle them. So it doesn't make sense to just do one approach and spend 15 minutes fucking foam rolling your quad. When in reality, it could be your femoral nerve and that's not going to help anything. It might even make it worse. I think that's that's a, a legitimate concern too, that we just have one, I got one tool in the toolbox and that's, we hit it with a hammer and you know, a hammer makes it worse. So in summation, foam rollers aren't terrible, but if you're the only thing you're doing, fuck you. And that's a hill that I will die on. <laughs> Harsh, harsh, my man. Wow, just attacking people. That fr- right, well, that better be the that, in- that, a, that better a- be the intro <laughs> for the Instagram. Mike chop. Yeah that that better <laughs> oh, that better man. be the quick quip. <laughs> oh my god, I, I, can you even post such vulgar things on Instagram? I don't even know. Probably not. We'll but we should we should we'll try. <laughs> um, all right. Flagged. Well, I mean, on that note, I'm sorry for the mm-hmm. vulgar. The vulgar language, Mrs. Friedman, but uh, it just I mean, needed to be I, said. That was something worried, that I needed not, to say for a while. I'm a little less struck by the vulgar language, more just the the personal attack that you just launched on some people that are like, fuck you, you know? It's like, I don't anyway. care. Like, no, I, don't care. I, I know you don't it's, care. I know you don't care, but that's... It's 2020. If that's all you're doing, you 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 know better by now. That's you got Google. Um, but <laughs> anyway, anyways, on that note, those are some of our pet peeves. Those are some stuff that we see a lot of people doing the vast majority, I would say. Um, and if you got any question, you want hate mail, you want to hate my guts, shoot me a message cool. at Instagram at warrior sports wellness. I'll love to get into debate about it. Um, but in reality, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Like subscribe rate heart share oh, okay. just going on both ends of the spectrum send me hate mail i want to i want to argue with you but thanks for listening you guys are such an awesome <laughs> audience <laughs> true true share it with everybody and tell people how much you hate me that's good that's good. Uh, but in reality yeah questions shoot them our way you know it's in the show notes and all that stuff but as always this is dr austin shane alex Freeman, and we are out mm.